If you have a Bible with you, a um, Bible app on your phone, I want you to go to Psalm 78, verse 42. Psalm chapter 78, verse 42. This morning we are in week two of a four-week teaching series called Out of the Wilderness. And last Sunday we looked at how God rescued His Old Testament prophet Elijah out of the wilderness of discouragement and despair. And this morning we want to explore the wilderness of God's discipline. We want to explore how God rescues us, rescues His people out of the wilderness of His own discipline. Psalm chapter 78, verse 42. If someone has it, if you'd be brave enough to read that out loud for us this morning, that would be great. Somebody willing to read that for us? Yeah, Chris, go. Okay, and he's t- they're talking there, the psalmist is talking about the nation of Israel. They didn't remember God's power. They didn't remember the day that he rescued them from Egypt. They'd forgotten his goodness. They'd forgotten how he had showed them his goodness. And so when we talk about this wilderness of God's discipline, a couple things, what do we mean by that? Well, this wilderness is really a place where God disciplines you as his child, like a loving father would, for your disobedience to him and his word. This wilderness often involves you and I experiencing, because of our disobedience to God and his word, it often involves experiencing the danger, the consequences, or the emptiness that comes from choosing what you and I think is better over what God says is best. And so oftentimes, God will allow us to wander into this wilderness of His discipline because we need to understand that His commands and what He's communicated to us is actually for our good. It's for our good. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and go to the book of Deuteronomy. The first chapters or so is where we're going to be primarily this morning. And, but I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says this, And the Lord commanded us... To do all, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. For our good always. Matt Chandler, who is a pastor um, in Dallas, Texas, and an author of several books, says this about the commands of God. He says, The commands of God are all about God being for you, His commands are all about God trying to lead you into real life. And then that pull of your flesh toward what you want, toward choosing something other than what God has said, that's the pull toward slavery, slavery to sin, not toward life. And it's important to know this, he says, because there are times obedience to Christ will feel like an all-out assault on your dreams. And it's important to know that's simply not true, that the commands of God and the Word of God are leading you toward life, not away from it. They're leading you toward life, not away from it. I kind of like the, the imagery, and imagine this with me, of, of, a, of a pasture for sheep. And imagine this pasture is miles and miles, acres and acres long, acres and acres deep. And there's a fence that goes around this pasture. And inside the pasture is 
lush green grass that's healthy for the sheep. And inside the fence, the sheep are under the care and the protection of the shepherd. And the fence is there, although there's miles and miles of pasture to graze and to enjoy. There is a fence. And that fence is for the protection of the sheep inside. Because the good shepherd knows that once you step outside that fence, there's danger. You're no longer under his protection and safety. There's potential consequences for stepping outside that fence. And imagine that that fence is like God's, it's God's word. It's his instructions for us as his people. And he knows as a loving shepherd loves the sheep, he knows that if we step outside that, it's not for our good. It's not for our good. It's, it's, we're no longer under his protection or care. But yet here's the problem. The problem is we begin thinking that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And so our bent is toward outside the fence because we're sinners. For all have sinned because our bent is toward wandering outside of the pasture that God has provided for us. So we step outside the pasture, wander into the wilderness. And because God is such a loving God, he doesn't leave us there as his people. He comes actually after us. Because he knows that outside that fence is dangerous consequences and emptiness. And so what he does is he comes after us, but our bent is so toward outside the pasture that we don't sometimes like the fact that he comes after us. And so to get us back inside, he has to poke us, he has to prod us, to kind of turn us back around to where we will go back into the pasture to enjoy the lush green grass that he's provided for us. And that poking and that prodding that oftentimes he has to do, that's his discipline, which is for our good to get us back under the safety and care and protection found through his words. And so the wilderness of divine discipline, that poking and that prodding, if you will, it's actually for our good. Hebrews 12.10 says, For they, meaning our human parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, God, disciplines us for our good. For our good. And the purpose of that discipline is to draw us back under the care, into the fence where there's life, safety, joy, and under the protection of the shepherd. Now maybe you, and, or maybe someone you know right now, has wandered outside of the pasture, if you will. And they're right now experiencing the discipline of God. They're experiencing the consequences for their choices to choose what they think is better over what God says is best. And they're out there and they're experiencing the consequences and they chose it. They're out there. They're living it. And you want to know, what do I tell them? What do I say? And maybe that's you. Maybe you're the one that you've kind of wandered outside the pasture a little bit and you're experiencing, you're close, you're You're close to experiencing the danger that comes from that. And the question that comes to my mind is, is there a way out? Is there a way out of that wilderness? And the answer is yes. Just as God rescued Elijah out of the wilderness of discouragement and despair, God rescues us out of the wilderness of his discipline. And we see this lived out through the example of his people, Israel, as we read about in the Old Testament. If you're in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we'll be in the chapter 1 for a little while, and then we'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. But 
For us to understand Israel's journey in and out of the wilderness, we need to understand some things about God's people, Israel. One, we need to understand that God loves them. God loves his people. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8. God tells them, I chose you. I chose you to be my treasured possession. What was it about Israel? Were they the brightest? Were they the smartest? Were they best looking? Were they the strongest nation? There was nothing about the people of Israel that made them attractive for God to choose them. He says in Deuteronomy 7, 8, I chose you simply because I love you. I love you. God loves his people. And this love that he has for his people, he, he gave them a promise And that promise, Genesis 15, verse 18, was to Abraham. And the promise that he gave to Abraham in Genesis 15, 18, he says this, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. So God, out of his love, pure love for his people, says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm promising you a land. And so fast forward 500 plus years, and that's where we are in Deuteronomy. 500 plus years since that time that God gave Abraham that promise. And so Abraham goes and it's God's people now, they've been promised this amazing land by God. And so they're on their way to this land and they end up, long story short, they end up in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt for 430 years. So they've been slaves for 430 years. Think about the context of that time. 430 years ago, think we haven't even existed that long. As a nation, I mean, think, that's how long these people were enslaved, in, in, enslaved to Pharaoh and Egypt, 430 years. And, and so they cry out to God. God hears them. He raises up his leader, Moses. And you can read about this in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go through the course of time. Pharaoh lets his people, lets God's people go. And then you read about the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. And God leads them through that wilderness to the promised land. Through by night, he leads them by a pillar of fire, by day, a cloud, and they finally get to the edge, right? They finally get to the edge of the promised land. They're almost there. All they got to do is step across, and it's theirs. I mean, they're right there. Think about that moment. Can you imagine? I mean, 500 years, we're the generation that gets to experience firsthand the promise of God. We get, we're the ones. Our grandparents, they didn't get, we're the ones that God has allowed in his chosen time for us to experience this land that he promised 500 and some years ago. And they're there, they're at the edge. In Deuteronomy 1.8, he says, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land, Deuteronomy 1.8, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to give to them and to their offspring after them. They're here. They're at that moment. They're about ready to go in. All they got to do is walk across the threshold and take it. But they hesitate. They hesitate. They send 12 scouts. God told him he'd give it to them. It's good. It's the promised land. They hesitate. They send 12 scouts. Those scouts spend 40 days kind of surveying the land. Did God really say that he'd give us this land? Doesn't that sound like Genesis 3? Did God really say? We begin questioning God's goodness. So really, does God really have our best interests in mind with all these commandments and instructions? So the scouts come back, the reports 10 to 2, not in favor, even though God was the majority. (laughs) They came back 10 to 2, not in favor of going, taking the land, and so they don't. They reject God's promised land and God's word, and they disobey. And then in verse 26 and 27 of Deuteronomy 1, 
says, Yet you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us. Think about what they're saying. They're saying, because God hated us. No, no, no. God doesn't hated you. He's loved you. He's chosen you. He's promised you a land. They're saying, well, the Lord hated us. He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Right, because obeying, stepping into God's promises. In, in this case, it, was, it wasn't going to be easy. But God promised them that he would give them this land. And so they start thinking, He's brought us here to destroy us. Verse 28, where are we going to go up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than us. And all these different things start making excuses to the point where they're like, you know what? Maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Think about what they're saying. This God who rescued them from Egypt. And now they're saying, no, maybe we should go back to Egypt. It's kind of like, let's say you go down the streets of Cincinnati and a year ago you promised someone that lives on the streets of Cincinnati, you would, a year later, you would come back and you would rescue them from the streets. You would provide them a home. You would provide them a job. You would provide them a meal. You would provide them unlimited clothing that they needed in order to start all over. And so you promised that. You were downtown working and you made that promise. God laid it on your heart to them. And so a year goes by. You've made the preparations to get all that stuff in line for them. You go back. You still find them on the streets and you say, hey, I promised. Let's go. And so they come with you and you go and you get them all cleaned up. You give them a meal and you get them new clothes. You bought them this new house and you've invested so much into this person. They were undeserving. They did nothing to deserve it or earn it. And you've just invested so much into them and you give them the keys and you pull up in the driveway and you both walk up to the door and you open the door and you're like, hey, go on in. It's yours. And they pause for a moment. They're like, I don't know. I think I want to go back to the streets. Are you serious? I've, pro- I've provided all this for you. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I mean, it all sounds good. And I, I know you really have my best interest in mind because even for the past year while you made that promise, you actually provided me meals three days a week. You actually sat with me on the streets for the past year and spent time with me. All that stuff. I, I know you've been good to me and you've proved that, but I'm just not. Oh, and they're like, just go in, just take it. It's yours. And when they're saying, I think we should go back to Egypt, it's like the, that person saying, you, I want to go back to the streets. I want to go back. And when you choose to live in disobedience to God, you're choosing Egypt over the promised land. You're choosing Egypt. And how did they get there? Verse 32 of Deuteronomy chapter 1. It says in verse 32, Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. You didn't believe the Lord your God. They failed to believe that God was good. They stopped remembering God's goodness toward them. And every act of disobedience to God and His Word comes from the seed of unbelief. There's something about God that you're not believing when you choose to act in disobedience to Him. You're choosing to not believe that He has your best interest in mind. And so God in response, verses 35 He says, verse 34 of Deuteronomy 1, he says, And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb and Joshua. Verse 40 of chapter 1, he says, But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. And that would be the wilderness of God's discipline for the purpose of drawing them back 
into his presence underneath the care of him as their shepherd. And so they reject, they rebel against God's word and God's commands. And as a result, an entire generation will not experience the promised land that God gave them. An entire generation. Here's the implication of that. There are consequences when we disobey Christ. There are consequences that you and I experience as when we choose to live in disobedience to God. The penalty and punishment for our sin has been paid for by Christ on the cross. But as a loving father, there's that discipline that he provides for us. It's good for us to draw us back into fellowship with him. But there's consequences when you and I disobey him and his word, when we choose what we want over what he says is best. And that wilderness that he sends him into is hard. It was painful. It was dry. It involved death and plagues and tears and pain. But here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing about our God. Even in the wilderness of his discipline, God meets us. Even in the wilderness of his discipline, grace is there. Grace is found there. And and what we see here and what we're going to see here is this beautiful collision between God's justice and his grace. Justice because he can't continue to allow us to live in disobedience to him against his command. He's just, he's holy. There must be discipline. But then what we're going to see is God's grace toward his people in the wilderness. Even though they chose it, even though they stepped outside and said, I want to go on my own. I think I know what is better than what you've said is best. So even though I'm choosing you, God, I don't want you, God. I believe that I just want to live this way. God steps outside the pasture and comes after us. And he meets us in the wilderness. And the implication for us is this. No matter how dirty your past, no matter how dark and deep in sin you might be, no matter what kind of rebellion you're in right now against God, God will meet you there. His grace shows up. His grace shows up because His grace is still found in the wilderness. It's kind of like on a sunny day, right? And you're walking around. No matter how hard you might try to outrun your shadow, you can't. No matter how hard you try, it's the same with God's grace. And that's why it's such good news. That's why it's such good news. His grace meets you even in the wilderness of His discipline. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 8 because I wanted you to see the, the grace of God toward His people even when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, that he might turn you around, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So in verse 2, it says that God led them. Verse 15 says the same thing, that God was the one who was leading them through the great and terrifying wilderness. God's with them, even in the wilderness of his discipline. He's with them. In verse 3, it says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. They might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. These are people who have rejected his word. They've said, I don't want, we think we know better than you, God, and yet God meets them in the wilderness of his discipline. He leads them there. He's with them physically. His presence is there, and he actually feeds them even though they're hungry. And they chose it. His grace meets them in the wilderness. Verse 4. Your clothing didn't wear out on you. 
And your feet did not swell those 40 years because God provided for them. Even though they were in the wilderness of his discipline, God's grace was there. God provided them clothing and shoes so their feet did not swell. Grace. And then verse 16, if you go down, he said, he fed you in the wilderness with manna that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end, to turn you back. And in chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, that they lacked nothing while they were in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. It's like that, that person that you, you provided all this food and clothing and, and shelter for who was on the streets. And it's like, no, I'm going back to the streets. And they go back to the streets. And you know what you do? You go back with them. You go back with them. And you provide them the food they need. You provide them the shoes they need. You provide the clothes they need. That doesn't make sense to us. Right? They chose that. They deserve that. That's why it's called grace. That's why what God's doing here toward his people is called, it's grace in the wilderness. Even the wilderness of his discipline. It's kind of like when your kids, I've broken your commands, if you will, at home, and maybe you send them into timeout. Get in timeout. You're in timeout. So you're, Little son or daughter goes and they sit in time out, right? Maybe the tears are flowing or whatever. And we go on and we go do whatever else we got to do, right? But what God does is he says, you know what? Go to time out. He pulls up a chair. He sits next to us, puts his arm around us, and he sits with us in time out. We don't deserve it. You know why he does that? Because when we are faithless, he is faithful. It's because he's loving, because he's gracious. He's a good God. Even when we're in the wilderness of his discipline, he still pours out his grace. And here's what's amazing. Israel actually gets out of the wilderness after 40 years and they take possession of the land. Joshua 21. We know this because of what Joshua says in Joshua 21, verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. God promised this land. They disobeyed him. They're in the wilderness wandering for 40 years and yet God still gives them the land. They take possession of it. They don't deserve it. They've rebelled. They they want to go back to Egypt. And God says, you know what? That's why I'm grace. That's why I'm love. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give this to you anyway. And you know what? That's a beautiful picture of salvation. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel that we, we deserve nothing from God. We've done nothing to earn his grace. And yet in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins, redemption through his blood, promised the inheritance of being in his presence forever in heaven, deserving none of it. And yet God in his grace shows up and gives it to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 and 11 says, In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In him, we have obtained a promised land. (laughs) We've obtained an inheritance, the presence of God forever, dwelling within us through his Holy Spirit. So you say, okay, what now, right? 
What do I do now? All right? maybe, you, maybe you know someone that's in this wilderness of his discipline. Maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. What do you do? Let me give you three things that I think you can do. You need to remember his grace. You need to remember the cross. Remember that question at the beginning? How has God shown his goodness to you? You need to just take time and think through all the different ways that God has been gracious and shown his goodness to you. Psalm 78, 42, we read it at the beginning, says they tested God again and again. Why? Because they did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. They ignored and forgotten just how gracious and loving God was toward them. And so one thing that you can do or what you can tell that person, or you can say, you know what? Let's just think about all the different ways that God has been good to you. A person that's living in, in, in sin against the Lord, that's rebelling against him, can we just pause for a moment? Let's, let's just take a time out and let's just think about all the different ways that God has shown his love toward you. Tell me, how has he shown his love to you? How has he shown his goodness to you? And start helping them. Start helping them to see the grace of God in their lives. Make a list, whatever you need to do. The second thing is this, walk away from sin. Repent, it's repentance. It's acknowledging that what you're doing is sin against God, confessing it to him, and then turning from it. That's repentance. Why? Because Romans 2, 4, Paul says this, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Let me give you an example. When our kids were little, we would discipline them. And sometimes that discipline involved applying the Board of Education to the seat of learning. All right? And at times when we would do that, all right, there were tears. There were tears. But after those moments of discipline, often I would take one of them, or whoever I was disciplining at the moment, I would take them in my arms, I'd sit them on my lap, all right? And through their tears, they'd hug, we'd hug and hold, right? And there'd be the tears, and, um, and, and as I'm holding them, they're crying. And through, oftentimes, through the tears, through the crying, there'd be that heartfelt, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't hear I'm sorry during the discipline. You know when they usually the I'm sorry came and it came from the heart? The kindness, the grace, that touch of grace. That touch of grace. The discipline reveals that they're sinners, they need Jesus. The grace reveals the kindness of God toward them. Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That greed, that anger that you have, that bitterness, that jealousy, that pride, that envy, what that addiction, whether it be pornography or something else or or that adultery, whatever it might be, listen. That's stepping outside the fence and there's going to be consequences and danger and emptiness and all of that. And you need to pause and you need to look at how good and gracious God is ultimately expressed to you through Jesus on the cross. You need to walk away from sin. And the, Listen, grace is not a license to sin. When you understand grace, you walk more away from sin. When you get grace. When you understand it. When you truly understand just how gracious and loving God is toward you, you don't want to run to sin. You want to walk farther away from it. And you know that you're understanding the kindness of God when you're saying more no to sin than yes to it. Third, walk towards His Word. Walk towards His commands. 
because it's grace that motivates us toward obedience. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Grace not only leads us to repentance, but also grace leads us toward obedience. So what are the commands of God that you need to start walking toward for your good? Listen, the wilderness of divine discipline reveals the grace of God. Because God showed up in the midst of their wilderness in His discipline. And God met them there. There will be consequences for our disobedience against God. Because He's a holy and just God. But it doesn't make sense that God in His grace would still meet us there. And He does always. Always. As I was thinking about this, the, the song, Grace Greater Than Our Sin, maybe if you grew up in church, that you might recognize the, that song somewhat. But the lyrics are what captivated me as I was thinking through this, this this week. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Grace that exceeds our sin and our It exceeds our sin and our guilt. Listen, no matter how much that person has rejected God or is experiencing the consequences of God or you've ignored God or rebelled against God or you've tried to run far away from God, no matter how far, His grace exceeds that. His grace waits for you there. His grace will meet you there because it's His grace that pulls you out of the wilderness. And as the band plays, I want to challenge you this week. We need to remember the goodness of God, the grace of God toward your life because it's His grace that will move you to walk away from sin and move you to walk toward Him in obedience. So I I just want to ask you two questions as as we close. As you think about this wilderness of God's discipline and His grace meeting you there, no matter how far or how deep you're in the wilderness or how long you've been there, His grace is waiting, always, always. Maybe you need to share that with someone this week. Just this morning, give you a quick example. Situation came up and Andrew sent me a text and situation with an individual and they're experiencing, I believe, some consequences for their choices against, against the Lord. And Andrea comments on the text. She said, what do we do? You know what I was doing? <laughs> I'm looking this, looking over this, and I go, you know what we need to do? We need to show grace. It's not my job to discipline them. All right? But I can show grace toward them. Maybe you need to do that this week. But what's Jesus saying to you this morning? What's he saying to you? Right now, if you would just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes and think about that question. What's he saying to you as it relates to his grace and the wilderness of his discipline? What, what's he saying to you? Is there, are there sins you need to repent of and walk away from? Are there, are there commands you need to walk toward and start living and start obeying? All because of his grace toward you. What's he saying to you? And what do you need to do in response to what he's saying to you. Listen, no matter how deep in the wilderness of God's discipline you may be or that person may be or how long you've spent there or they've spent there, Jesus and his grace are waiting and he's saying to you right now, come out, come out of the wilderness. His grace is waiting. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. It truly is in Christ that we stand in his goodness and his grace that he's lavished out on us And I pray that we would live that grace out toward those in our lives each and every day. 
I thank you for your discipline, God. It's not easy to receive, but it's for our good. And I thank you that even in that wilderness, you meet us with your grace. Ultimately expressed through the person of your son, Jesus, on his cross. Amen. Stand with us as we sing. I'm going to walk to the back. If you need to pray, you you just want to go back. You just want to kneel someplace and pray and talk to the Lord. You need help with an issue or something. Come back and meet me and we'll pray together.